When I say can you dig it, put your two hands up like that. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It? A podcast by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. I'm Christian Rivas, joined by Jacob Rude for the first time in like two weeks. And what a show to come back on. Uh, A few things to talk about. Austin Reeves going off and having the game of his life, setting up the next era of Lakers basketball. (laughs) Uh, But there's one thing we should probably talk about before that. Uh, any idea what I could be alluding to? Yeah, Malik Monk played pretty well, too. <laughs> the two Arkansas boys. Uh, I, I saw um, our friend Grant Goldberg sent in, uh, or maybe, maybe I saw on Twitter. I may have just seen Grant retweet it, but, uh, or no, you know what's so funny is it wasn't Grant. It was Jacob Rude that tweeted that uh, Malik Monk and um, Austin Reeves kind of stepped into that superstar duo uh press conference role that's really really funny but they deserved it yeah like okay so obviously we're going to talk about the frank vogel firing presumed firing um and the report that he's going to be fired he may already be by the time you're listening to this and i i jump into that because i assume there's going to be a lot of ranting on this podcast but that is like my first problem with how all this is going to eventually end up is like, we can't have any fun this season because Austin Reeves and Malik Monk have the two best games of their career. Like that was a fun game in Denver. And those two have been like the furthest possible away from being responsible for what has gone wrong this season for the Lakers. And yet, on Sunday night, it's Malik Monk and Austin Reeves who have to sit at the postgame presser and answer questions about the reports of Frank Vogel being fired. And that, I guess, in a way, is just kind of a summary, a microcosm of just how awful the situation has been handled from seemingly day one of him being before day one of him being hired. He was the third choice and they screwed up the other two and that. I was just annoyed that those two don't deserve that and that they had to sit there and answer those questions just really kind of annoyed me. And it's not the first time the Lakers have kind of put the young guys front and center uh, when it comes to their dysfunction. And at least this, this time it wasn't a product of their own doing. I don't know who leaked the report to Woj. Um, You can make your guesses on that, but um, I mean, I do have a theory, like, are we sure the Lakers did that? Because I don't know what benefit it would have for the Lakers. And perhaps it was the other side of that report and Frank Vogel making the Lakers look worse and leaking that right away. Yeah, I I do think there there are a lot of uh, like sides to it and conspiracies that I totally buy into. Um and that is certainly one of them. I'd also buy just maybe the front office leaking. The only reason I don't buy that it wasn't the front office that leaked that report to Woj is 
it seems like ever since the LeBron years, Woj has not been the guy for Lakers news. And yes, ESPN as a whole, I as go as far as to say, hasn't been, uh, you know, the source for Lakers news. Obviously, Shams is a big clutch guy, and that's where most of those leaks have come from. You know, even Chris Haynes, Chris Haynes and, and LeBron James have a really good relationship. So we've gotten some some news from there, but. Yeah, I don't know where it came from. I know when it came, and I pr- it probably could have come at a better time than it did. Uh, right when the buzzer sounded, Woj <laughs> tweeted that that Frank was losing his job, and I, you know, I agree with everybody that is upset uh, at the timing. The only thing I'll say is this was coming. Like he could have reported that Frank Vogel was going to be let go after this season, the moment Frank signed his one-year extension like the only way frank was going to come back next season is if they won a championship with him like well that was the report that it was going to take like a deep playoff run for him to come back and that that just speaks to a larger problem with the way the lakers treated frank vogel um and i want to because i know a lot of people before we get into any of the rants that i can speak for myself and i i know i i have a few thoughts on all of this and the way it was handled but i do want to say before people call us out frank absolutely deserved if, if we're just looking at this season frank probably deserved to lose his job like mm-hmm. there were just decisions he made with the rotation uh, like playing DJ and AD day one uh, and sticking to it as long as he possibly could before going small, just mind boggling stuff. Uh, and, you know, even before this season, there were just things that he did players that he stuck to for too long that caused Lakers fans to start to sour on him even before this season. But you can't just look at the season when talking about Frank. It, it's the same thing when talking about the Lakers shortcomings this season. There are levels to this. And this started, as you said, when he was being interviewed during that hiring process. You talk about the Lakers not wanting to you know, face the music when it comes to the decisions they made or the, the reports that get leaked. You go back to Frank Vogel's introductory press conference with the Lakers. 99% of that introductory press conference was reporters asking about Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka. Because I want to say the morning of Magic yep. Johnson went on uh, first take to do that interview where he said that Rob stabbed him in the back and that was all of Rob's introductory press conference because Rob Palenka didn't do an exit interview the season before when Magic Johnson abruptly stepped down. Like that is a major red flag to me. We'll get into all the front office stuff. What are your initial reactions to how it was all rolled out and reported? I mean, it was inevitable and I don't think anybody was surprised by what happened, but like, the just everything about the Lakers process of all this has been awful. I had forgotten that that is how Vogel's tenure in Los Angeles kind of 
like unofficially started basically he was signed before that but he's introduced and none of the questions are to frank vogel and all of them were to rob palinka and i mean it was it's fitting i guess it look the front office never wanted frank vogel as a head coach that's why he was the third option and after they won a title that it increasingly seems like they almost like lucked into um it seems like they then spent the next two seasons trying to sabotage Frank Vogel and take away all the strengths of him as a coach. And I'm probably going to write a bigger piece on this, but one of my biggest complaints with what this front office has done is when you see teams that are successful, it's because they have like a brand of basketball that they play and Vogel had a brand that first season. It was like the bigger, faster, stronger. It was defensive first. Um, and you could lean into that. Like KCP, Kyle Kuzma were were guys that made a lot of sen- sense in that system. Alex Caruso. Um, and it never felt like the front office was trying to help him find those guys. Like you – always hear the sayings of you can see a prospect and be like, Oh, that's a Spurs guy. Or, Oh, he, he would fit into the heat culture or whatever it is. And the Lakers could have had that with Vogel or some form of that's where you could look at a player, look at a prospect and say, Oh, he would make a lot of sense on the Lakers, but there's just no synergy with the front office and the coaching staff. And it feels like, front office is operating in one way and just not really including Frank Vogel uh, in that discussion. And so it leads to a situation like this season where that roster was (laughs) like so far from what Frank Vogel had success with. And the thought, I guess, by fans was that he could coach them up defensively, but they'd be good offensively. But they were so far behind the curve defensively that they never got to a good defense like it wasn't even close even when ad was there there were so many holes and he was frustrated all season long about the defense and so i mean yeah frank vogel he did a lot of things that he were frustrating i mean you mentioned them i don't know why he needed that many games to see that deandre jordan was bad um Although you ask Doc Rivers and his coaching staff, he isn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was. It was odd because he was always kind of so stubborn in his ways, and then he like overcorrected this season, and then spent like the last two thirds of the season just trying everything. <laughs> and he tried small ball, and it kind of worked, and they kind of stuck with that. But then he tried every possible lineup. The Lakers ended with forty-one lineups in eighty-two games. And I said this last week to Harrison, if you would have given me the roster before the season started, I don't think I could have picked out 41 combinations of a lineup and they just never, never stuck with a lineup, never found consistency. So like, yeah, Frank wasn't perfect. He had his faults. He also is a title winning coach and those don't, exist like hardly at all in the NBA. There's very few guys who have won a title. So I put a lot more on the blame on the front office. And 
for screwing up a good thing. Like they had a good coach that was capable of winning a title and they decided to be at odds with him for multiple seasons for reasons that I'm not sure we will ever understand or get reasoning for. Here's what I think or where I think the the problem started for the Lakers is if you're the Lakers, the most important person in your organization is LeBron James and by extension, his camp. And by that logic, if LeBron wants Frank gone, or if LeBron wants his roster this way, and Frank is like used to coaching a different type of roster, like the 2019, 20 roster that we saw, I get it you're going to want to appease LeBron James before anybody else. My Where the problem starts is, if that's the case, just hire Tyron Lue if you knew yeah. you were going to run into these problems eventually. Like, that's where all of this just becomes insane to me, is you had success with Frank Vogel in the 2019-20 season, won a championship in his first season, playing the style of play that he played. I've seen a lot of just dummies in my mentions saying that, you know, Frank Vogel wasn't a good coach. The Lakers won a championship in 2020 in spite of him. That roster was just too talented to fail, which nobody was saying at the start of the season. like Or during the season. And, I, I mean, even me, I, I looked at the Clippers roster compared to the Lakers roster, and I was like, yeah, you know, the, the gap in talent is way too big between these two teams. And it was true. You look at that, the, the Clippers roster on paper just so much more talented than that lakers team and it worked because they hung their hat on the defensive end and played their roles to the best of their abilities the whole mantra of that season was you know frank vogel wanting everybody to be a star in their role not even a star player just a star in their role and that's when you see players like alex caruso contavious caldwell pope and even kyle kuzma who going into the season was supposed to be that third star until Frank Vogel had a heart to heart with him midseason and was and told him like, you know, if you're gonna if we're gonna win a championship, you need to start doing the dirty work. Like you need to buy into this role and not and not worrying about being that third star. Just be a star in your role. And I think Frank Vogel played a really big part in Kyle Kuzma's development. And if not Frank Vogel himself, then the type of basketball that Frank Vogel had the Lakers playing, it all worked. The Lakers, the following season, had an opportunity to go, okay, maybe Frank's the guy. Like, maybe after winning a championship with him, we can get all of these parties, the front office, LeBron James in his camp, and Frank Vogel on the same page and meet somewhere in the middle. And I think they did that the following season. I think, you know, signing Dennis Schroeder, bringing on Montrezl Harrell and Marcus Gasol, you had that feeling that this team was going to be better on offense and could hang like could still hang around on defense because you know Marcus All was a former defensive player of of the year and um it, it was clear early on that even though that speed and athleticism wasn't there he still knew where to be on defense and they ended the season with the best defense in the NBA and that's not in spite of Frank again nobody looked at that roster at the start of the season and thought the Lakers are going to be even better than they were the previous season on defense like 
Frank Vogel was a good, is a good coach. The problems, like you said, were the roster and the type of roster he was given. And I think there are only, God, two coaches maybe that you can give any roster to you, any collection of roster uh, and any collection of talent. And they'll say, okay, I can win 42, 43 games with this team. And to me, that's Greg Popovich, Tyron Lue, and um, Spolstra. I want to say Spolstra. Yeah. Spo, Spo is, is probably the other guy, but just because Frank Vogel didn't win with this team does not mean he's a bad coach. You give Quinn Snyder that 2019-20 Lakers, they do not have the success success they do. Some coaches just have styles they like to play, and they're really good at it. Frank Vogel is one of those guys, and I'm sure if he's given another opportunity with the team where he's aligned with the front office and whoever the star player is, I don't think it'll be LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, I'm like... Sorry to break it to you, Frank, but <laughs> I mean, those are probably the two best players you'll ever coach in your career. And luckily for him, he won a championship. He but more or less said as much too. <laughs> but to to say to have a front office that you can go to and say, like, okay, I want these guys in free agency. This is the type of roster to be on the same page as the front office, I think is a really big deal in the NBA. It's just not gonna happen with LeBron James on the roster. And again, that is not a knock on LeBron. LeBron is a very, very important and influential player. And, you know, every time, if I'm, if I'm in Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss's position, if I'm going to appease anybody, it's going to be arguably the greatest player of all time. It's just unfortunate that's the way things worked out. And I th- wish they had the foresight and, I don't know, pockets to just say, all right, well, if this is a problem we know we're going to run into later down the line, just hire Tyron Lue straight out of the gate. Give him whatever you want. The The main issue is that they were going to scapegoat him pretty much like you said, the minute that they signed him to that one-year extension. So I just don't understand what the what the point of all this was. Like, I don't know why they gave him the extension last year. Like, I just don't understand what the direction this front office is heading in right now, because I mean, you can hang your hat on the last time they did this coaching search. The three candidates that they landed on were Monty Williams, then Ty Lue, then Frank. But like, I don't have any faith in this front office right now. Like even having looked at that and all the name or well not all of them some of the names coming out as potential front runners Doc Rivers namely is concerning. Uh, I mean Woj in his story tonight said that there are no clear front runners and they're going to do an extensive search. I don't know. They need to, as you said, there needs to be some type of epiphany or something with this front office that. I don't think is going to come, but like there needs to be some self-awareness that they screwed a lot of things up and all the finger pointing right now about who screwed up the Russell Westbrook trade is not exactly filling me with confidence that they're going to admit that they screwed up because 
the tell-all articles that came out at the end of last week about um, this season was a lot of, well, the front office only did this rush trade because LeBron and AD pushed so hard for it. And if you don't think that LeBron and AD are going to release a story through clutch, through shams or the athletic or something in the near future, pushing back against that, then you're crazy. So, I mean, obviously this front office and clutch have kind of butted heads a bit. It was even this season with LeBron talking about everywhere he wants to be. And that isn't LA um, there for everybody's benefit. There needs to be some type of coming together and meeting and figuring out what they want this team to look like and what direction that they want to go. And if you're going to include LeBron and AD in the discussions, then you need to find a coach that's comfortable with that. And then all of you work together because it felt like a lot of times Vogel was like this middleman between AD and LeBron and the front office. And the end result is that's who you get. That's who you scapegoat. And it was predictable. The Lakers were going to do that. And that's not enough. Like nobody's going to say, ah, well, problem solved. Vogel's gone. Like, no, there's so many issues with this team right now. And I just don't have a, I mean, it's wild that we're at this point when, I mean, it was what, two and a half years ago, 30 months ago, they won a title. Like if you, if you would have told me in that moment in the bubble where LeBron is sitting there saying, give Palinka his respect, give Vogel his respect. I want my damn respect too. If you'd have told me that inside of three years, within two and a half years, this would all be like crumbling down, I don't know that I would have believed you. Because in that moment, it felt like, oh, this is legit. Like, there were tweets I saw people bringing up on my timeline where it was like, Vogel is, I mean, he's still young. I think he's 42, I believe. He's a young coach. And had just led them to a title. They had most of that team under contract moving forward. They had LeBron and AD, and they had a GM that proved a lot of people wrong in that moment um, and had built a title-winning team. And that's hard to do, to coach a team to a title, to build a title-winning team, but it's, it's somehow harder to just destroy all that inside the next two years and that's what the Lakers have done. Just there's just no, I mean, it's the word I'm going to use a lot. I think there's just no synergy with this front office right now. It's just a lot of people having separate ideas about how they think a team should be built, whether it's Palinka, whether it's the Rambuses, whether it's the buses, the bus children that are in the front office, whether it's LeBron and AD and Clutch and Rich Paul. There's just a lot of people that want or believe that there are different ways to build a title. And the result is you get just a whole bunch of different guys that don't make sense for a roster. Like this Lakers team signed DeAndre Jordan, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, Trevor Ariza, and played all them important minutes. Well, Ariza didn't play at the beginning of the year, but when he was healthy, he played big minutes, played all those guys, big minutes, expecting them to contend in 2022. When, I mean, it was pretty clear most of those guys weren't good 
already. So I just, I don't understand. There just needs to be some type of cohesive plan moving forward, starting with this coaching search and heading into free agency, because this is right now the last shot that they're going to have with LeBron and AD together. And they won a title. They can do it, but they need to be on the same page together. So there isn't this finger pointing and blame game when things go wrong next time it happens. And I, I guess looking forward, looking ahead, um, I guess that's where the worry starts to creep in for me in terms of their head coaching search, because you're right. This really is like the last crack the, the Lakers get at it with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And if you're looking for a head coach this summer, are you looking for a coach that is going to maximize the core of LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Or are you going to look for a coach with Anthony Davis and another player in mind? Are you just looking at the best coach available or the biggest name out there? It's not an easy situation to be in because LeBron James will be effectively on an expiring contract. Unless you get a LeBron guy in, in that seat, in that coaching seat and say, Hey, we got your guy. Let's just say it's Jawan Howard. Cause that was the big rumor leading up to LeBron James uh, signing with the Lakers and Luke Walton being fired that Jawan Howard was somebody that he respected when he was in Miami and him and Ty Lue were two of the guys that if they were hired would, would make LeBron happy. Obviously those guys didn't get hired. Uh, I think Jawan Howard's at Michigan. Uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And, and he's doing well there. So, I mean, maybe LeBron has an eye for talent. It wouldn't <laughs> and listen, if they, if they sign his guy, LeBron says, okay, well you give again, let's just say Jawan Howard, you give Jawan Howard three years, four years. I'll be here for two of those. I'll sign a one-year extension because you got my guy. Then, you know, that that's an interesting scenario, but you know, the reality is, I think we're starting to see a shift from the Lakers away from the LeBron James era a little prematurely. And, you know, I, I tweeted today, when the Lakers didn't make the playoffs that first year, the first leaks that came came from presumably the front office were that the front office had this rift with clutch because they needed a finger to, to blame somebody. They needed to point the finger at somebody. And clutch was one of the first people they pointed the finger at even before Luke Walton. And that to me is insane. And I hope that the relationship has evolved to the point where it won't happen again this summer. And there won't be this pushback from the front office when LeBron James says, Hey, Sign my guy. I'll be here another two years or another year after this season. Because I think if you're the Lakers, that's probably the best case scenario going into the summer. Because otherwise, you are trying to manage a laundry list of things in your next head coach. And that just makes it all the more difficult. You're going up to a head coach and saying, hey, you have LeBron and AD this season. 
Beyond that, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with Russell Westbrook. We don't know how much money we're going to have in free agency as a result of this uncertainty with Russell Westbrook. In 2023, we may have LeBron James still, but that's not a guarantee either. And if LeBron James doesn't resign, I don't know what's going to happen with Anthony Davis. We could build around him or it could the 2022-23 season could be so disappointing that we blow it up entirely. That is a tough thing to sell a head coach on. Like whether it be Doc Rivers, Quinn Snyder or you know Nick Nurse, all guys that have been tied to the Lakers. Coaches that are big names and I think in most circles say save for you know maybe Doc Rivers now, uh, most people would say probably an upgrade o- over Frank Vogel just from a name standpoint, just from a a, a coaching record standpoint. But those guys, you you give those guys this year's Lakers team, nothing changes. Maybe yeah. two or three more wins here and there. Nothing changes. The Lakers could be in a better position next season and the following season if they play their cards right. It starts with the coaching search, and that that is going to be harder than I think anything else they have to do this summer, including getting off of Russ, just because of how many hoops they have to jump through and the fires they have to put out before they can even tell a head coach, this is a desirable job. <laughs> yeah, the Russ thing is going to be a, a whole thing in its own. I wrote a piece today. It'll go up sometime this week looking at a couple different trades that could potentially happen. We can talk about that down the line. But, I mean, you do bring up an interesting point about how they're going to approach hiring a coach because, I mean, we've mentioned Ty Lue and the big hang-up when hiring Ty Lue was that they only wanted him to be the coach as long, the same amount of years LeBron was under contract. And Ty Lue didn't want that. And so that's where the two sides parted ways. Now, like, what's their approach going to be? Because no, no coach, even if LeBron signs a one-year extension, no coach is going to sign a two-year deal. So, like, there's a level of commitment that the Lakers are going to have to make um, that they weren't comfortable with making last time they hired a head coach. I, I mean, I don't know how much that'll factor into the decision. I think, I don't know. They're not really in a position where they can be too choosy. Like, I know obviously they have LeBron and AD, but it's not like this is some glorious situation right now. Like, we just mentioned the Russ situation is going to exist, and the Lakers could potentially get out of that, but it's going to come at some price one way or the other. So this front office, I just don't know what their approach is going to be and like maybe because i mean the reports seem to suggest that palinka is like he's down to one year of like goodwill like maybe that changes how he approaches some of this but like is there any reason to have optimism in what this front office is going to do this summer i think the optimism starts with the belief that LeBron James and Rob Palenka had that meeting midway through this season 
to chop it up and say like, Hey, we got to figure this out. And that's, that's where my optimism starts with the off season in general, because if you're LeBron James and Rob Palenka, there is no winner in this feud. Like if, if LeBron James doesn't have a successful season next season, that may very well be his last chance to win a championship as the guy, let alone the guy in LA. And that's, you know, if you're LeBron James and you have the Lakers trade for Anthony Davis and you're pretty certain that you're going to be a contender and a large part of the reason you're not a contender for, you know, those four years that you signed with the team and the duration is because one, you didn't want to play point guard and two, the point guard that you did want to play with ended up not being very good. Like that makes you look bad. If you're Rob Polinka and you are the one making these calls and buying into what LeBron James is selling you, which again, I cannot reiterate enough was the right move for Rob Polinka to say like, give this guy what he wants. He won us a championship. He knows what he's talking about. LeBron James, for all of his faults, does have an eye for talent, you know, knows what it takes to win, whatever. All the superlatives you, you can throw at LeBron James, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of building a team more than I would Rob Lincoln. Um It all just comes down to where they're willing to make those compromises to succeed as a team. And to me, the 2019-20 and the 2020-21 seasons were the perfect examples of those compromises. The 2019-20 season, I think those compromises were made as a result of the talent on the roster. LeBron James didn't want to play off ball, but because of, you know, them trading Lonzo Ball and the financial constraints that they were under, LeBron had to play point guard. And that team was really, really good because it was a LeBron James team. The following season, you know, we already talked about at length. This season, I just think there was an overcorrection that we've talked about. Man, at, at so many times this season, and it sucks that this is where we're at. The season is over because lost in all of this is the fact that the Lakers did play, play their final game of the season. Their season ended in the regular season with a, with a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Granted, they weren't healthy for most of the season. But I don't think any reasonable person looks at this season and says, you know, the Lakers didn't stand a chance because the team just wasn't healthy enough. Because even when they were healthy, they they didn't look very good. And that, I, I just think it's a testament to bad roster construction, which goes back to, you know, a lack of synergy between the front office the head coach and and the star player. And I do, again, I do think it's something that could get sorted out in the off season. Uh, and I think it will because God damn it. They have to, there's, <laughs> there's no, again, who like who can really walk out of this situation, the way the the situation the Lakers are in, right now a year from now they're in the same place can come back and say well i did everything i could you look like the dummy because right now with frank gone the the blame gets shifted 
I want to say 50-50 to Rob and LeBron. You could throw AD in there too, because apparently he's as involved in the Lakers front office uh, situation, whatever. But right now, Frank is gone. You got you got rid of your first scapegoat. Lakers fans are not dumb. Like they know that Rob has plenty of work to do and LeBron isn't blameless in all of this. And for that reason, I think something gets sorted out. It's just about step one, which isn't the draft. It's finding a head coach. And that search has to start like tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, they say it's going to be an extensive one, but the... um... Nobody comes out looking good with LeBron and Rob pointing fingers at one another. And as you said, their scapegoat's gone and there is no fall guy now. Like if it goes bad, it is your necks on the line and it's Palenka losing a job and it's LeBron whose um, image or whatever in LA takes a hit. And it's AD who signed past LeBron being here. That's going to take the hit. So I mean, you did convince me to a degree that they could they because of a sense of urgency, um, they they might try to have to get this worked out. But it's just so frustrating after this year. Do you want to talk about the game tonight? Because now Wayne Ellington is subtweeting uh, Compazzo as we're talking about this. He uh, I don't know if you watched the game, uh, but Compazzo was ejected early on for a wild flagrant two dirty play where um, he got hit going to the basket and it didn't even really look like a foul. He got mad, stood up and ran back into, into the back of Wayne Ellington and shoved him into, I believe it was winning Gabriel's knee and got ejected. And now Wayne Ellington tweeted tonight. When I see you, I'm putting my hands on you at uh, Faku Campazo. So uh, what a truly bizarre year this this has been. Even on a night when uh, it, the season ended and it seemed fun, there's still just so much bizarre things happening. Yeah, I uh, did a quick Google search when that tweet went out because I was like, did Composo play anywhere else in nope. the NBA before the Nuggets where they could have been like boys and they're just messing around? No. Okay. <laughs> It's also funny because, um, I I mean, Composo, his contract is expires this year. And from what I've seen, he's probably not just done in Denver, but done in the NBA. And also Wayne Ellington is probably done in the NBA. So, like, when you tweet, the next time I see you, it's my it's, it's like hands or whatever. It's going to be like <laughs> in a YMCA gym or something. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be on an NBA court. So, I didn't really have Ellington Campazzo beef as something that would happen this season, but I mean, it was a fun game. And for the, I was going to say 48 minutes, 53 minutes that it took place. Uh, it was fun. I, the Lakers, I said this a couple times. Um, I forgot how enjoyable like stress and pressure free basketball was. And the Lakers became so miserable this year that, there was just a sense of dread during every game and in a weird way, like I've enjoyed these last three games because it's just been guys who seem to enjoy playing basketball together, playing basketball together. And that was a case on Sunday against Denver. I mean, 
you see the videos afterwards, like this, that group of guys, and really, I guess a good chunk of the team, like did enjoy each other, but they just weren't good. But on Sunday, uh, I mean, that was as fun as it like Reeves became the first undrafted rookie ever to have a 30 point triple double. And there's only been uh, three other guys who've had a 30, 15 and 10 game. Like he had like, what on earth? Like I thought I is Reeves too good to play in summer league. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'd like him to play anyway. Cause I think uh, our plan is to go for at least a few days. So, yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, he, between him, between Malik Monk, um, I mean, whether they're going to be able to retain Monk is another story. But, like, between him and Stanley Johnson and winning Gabriel and they have Mason Jones and Mac McClung on two ways, and those guys seem decent enough. But, like, I tweeted this on Friday. I probably didn't have enough kind of clarity in the tweet because a lot of people were replying to me. But... Like, if the back end of your bench is, like, winning Gabriel, Stanley Johnson, those guys that are out there. I, Reeves is a rotation player anyway. Um, You're a starter, baby. Yeah. But uh, if it's those guys that they kind of have under contract right now, if, the, if like, Winion and Stanley are your 12th and 13th guys, like, the Lakers are in such a better position with their bench moving forward. And I mean, which kind of brings me to another complaint that we wildly underutilize our scouting department. Um, they still find all these gems that are undrafted guys. And it's like, imagine what they could do if you gave them draft picks regularly. Um, but the, the Lakers seem to be at a better starting point. Um, it's ironic that there's, a decent amount of guys that I'd be comfortable bringing back from this team, considering how bad the sum of the parts were like uh, Malik Talon's the other one that I forgot if he's back. Like we saw over the last three games that like Talon didn't completely forget how to play basketball. I just think you probably could not have picked a worse, like superstar player to put him next to. Yeah. Um, so if you have Talon, Reeves, Winion, Stanley, hopefully knock on wood, Malik, like guys like that, it's a much younger team, if nothing else. It's a lot of guys willing to do the dirty work that nobody, none of the veterans were willing to do this year. And I tweeted, like, I'm making some assumptions that they get some good players. I Kendrick Nunn, I forgot about. He's going to be included in that. Um if you get some other good players, like you don't have to squint too hard to see a decent team, but building a roster seems like the 57th most important thing this front office has to do right now, because there's so many steps before they even get to that point that they're going to have to clear. But I mean, these last three games I thought have been pretty optimistic kind of capped off uh, Sunday with Reeves's wild triple double. Yeah, building a roster is going to be – that's another interesting aspect of this coaching search is obviously some – every coach is going to have some style uh, to their play, their offense, their defense, whatever. But at the end of the day, a LeBron James team is a LeBron James team. And 
that's what that's what's so puzzling to me about all of this is you know it's it's them trying to rewrite what's already like worked it's like trying to find a new recipe for a twinkie when the when the twinkie already exists like yeah and the weird thing is that it's you know mostly lebron doing it and yeah. i get you you can understand the reason why he's doing it while acknowledging that it is actively hurting the Lakers, um, which isn't to say he can't be a good off-ball player. He can. It's just all-star level point guards are a dime a dozen, and the Lakers don't have the assets to acquire one. And I, I think that desire from LeBron is a big part of the reason the Lakers acquired Russ, because you know, how often is a former MVP that is a point guard, that is a ball handler available the way Russ is at a stage of his career where, at least in terms of age, he isn't completely washed up. It's a, it's a really interesting position for them to be in when it comes to, to their roster construction. Because there's an obvious answer, but you also have to have the coach in mind, or at least that's what a normal team does. I agree with you though. Let's just say the Lakers are able to flip Russ for, you know, two rotation level players like, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald is a, is a package that's been thrown around a bunch. Eric Gordon and Christian Wood is another package that, you know, I've seen thrown around a bunch and that all depends on what they're willing to attach to Russ. I think this idea that, I, somebody in my mentions today said they're going to need to attach Reeves, the 2027 pick and the 2029 pick just to get off of Russ. And to these people, I ask, did you not read the report at the deadline that there was allegedly this deal lined up with the Rockets where the Lakers could have swapped Russ for John Wall in a, in a pick swap? That price is only going to go down in the summer and the, the, the thing I really want people to understand is you go back and look at every offseason since the cap spike, expiring contracts have never been more valuable than they are right now. And Russ is a really, really big expiring contract. And I think the issue that a lot of people are running into is they're thinking of basketball reasons why these teams would do this trade. Their logic is Russell Westbrook is not a good player. So teams will not trade for him, which is fine logic. It's just not the logic that front offices use to make trades. Like teams that aren't in contention hate their teams. They hate that they have to pay these players X amount of dollars to stay competitive. The Indiana Pacers have a budding backcourt in Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Dorte. They don't want to pay Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald for the next three, four years, whatever they have them on the hook for. And, you know, the same thing could be said about, I mean, Eric Gordon and Christian Wood to a lesser extent, because I think both those guys are expiring. Gordon has a non-guarantee uh, contract in the, in the following season. But you get my point. Teams have a lot of contracts on their payroll that they don't like, that they only signed because this was their player they were playing well and they weren't going to find a way to replace him in the in free agency because they're a small market team 
because they're a restricted free agent, whatever the case may be, there are going to be owners this summer looking to get off of salary. And Russell Westbrook is the perfect guy for it. Say yeah. the say the Lakers trade Russ for any one of those guys. Let's just say Brogdon and Buddy Heald. You have a roster of at least Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, and you know Kendrick Nunn, Wenyan Gabriel. That is already just from a team that you'd like to see with Le- play with LeBron James. That is already a better start than where we were this season, which is crazy. And, you know, you can say that's a testament to how bad the Russell Westbrook trade. But the bottom line is everyone messed up. And now that the season is over, we're looking at pretty much a clean slate once they figure out who their head coach is and what to do with Russ. That is priority number one and 1B going into the offseason. Yeah, part of this moving forward is going to... LeBron's going to have to decide what he wants to do because you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Like, if he... The Lakers are at their best when he's the point guard. Like, they won a title with him as the point guard. So I'm not, like, breaking news there. For for whatever reason he doesn't want to do it and whether it's he considers it taxing whatever it is he's gonna have to make a decision because if he doesn't want to do it the lakers aren't going to be as good they're not going they i won't say they won't be a title contender they could be they won't be at their best so he's either going to have to decide does he really want to play off the ball or does he want to compete potentially the last time for a title in LA. That's going to be kind of one of the first things when they presumably if they have this exit interview tomorrow and the meetings moving forward is him. He's going to have to decide what type of player he wants to be moving forward. And yeah, when it comes to the rush trades, there are options like Charlotte came up as a suitor. Charlotte makes a ton of sense because they're going to have to pay miles bridges and LaMelo ball a lot of money here in the very near future. And right now, Gordon Hayward is eating up a good chunk of their uh, payroll. And he's set to make $60 million over the next two years, whereas Russ is going to make $47 million for one year. And that's how you have to look at all these rumors is um, financially. The That also means the Lakers are going to have to swallow and give up a lot of flexibility moving forward absolutely it's been something this this franchise has like to bizarre degrees at times wanted is financial flexibility moving forward if you want russ off the books you're not going to have that and i think this it's an untenable situation and he has to be gone like it's in nobody's best interest for them to run it back with him next year but uh if you build a trade around Gordon Hayward and I mean, the name I threw out there and mainly because it's one of the few options that Charlotte could trade is a PJ Washington who doesn't have a place really in Charlotte 
with Miles Bridges kind of blossoming into this great player and them always looking for a true five, he's kind of stuck in his role there. If you do a Gordon Hayward and PJ Washington for Russ and a pick or something trade, then yeah, you're immediately in a better situation. Gordon Hayward has been hurt a lot and he doesn't offer you that injury insurance that you were searching for with Russ. But um, I mean, that's, that's better players, I would say, but whether it's Gordon Hayward and PJ Washington, whether it's Buddy and Brogdon, whether it's the Knicks and potentially whoever that they would want to throw with all their huge contracts that they have, it's the same thing that the Lakers are going to have to give up some financial flexibility in the future because that's just how, what it's going to take to get off Russ. And that's what you need to do to build a contender around LeBron for next year because it ain't going to happen with Russ. So, yeah, it's going to be it's, it's going to be a very interesting offseason. They pretty much kicked it off. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise that Vogel was fired on Sunday. Maybe the um, speed in which they did it was a surprise. But um, there's a lot of questions the Lakers have to answer moving forward. And as you said, it starts with a coaching search that they're – we have no idea who it's going to be, which true to form, I guess. We don't really have any clue what direction the Lakers are looking. But, boy, what a way to to kick off the Lakers offseason. Well, the good news is it's all over. And <laughs> the, the best news for you, Jacob, is that the now that the NBA season is over, there is no teams in your life that you are going to be stressed about as a result of something that happened today. <laughs> oh yeah. I, soccer is so going for a while, but uh, yeah, no, I, I can handle well, the, the difference is I can handle man city stress because it's stress about winning a title and the Lakers. It was stress about making the damn play in game. And for IU most of the year, it was stress about whether they'd make the tournament. So uh the Lakers gave me some perspective as I'm sure they gave lots of fans. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are Rams fans too. So I'm sure that they had a lot of perspective this season and Dodger fans and whatnot. So I guess that's one thing. Yeah. I guess that's one thing the (laughs) Lakers have done in the last couple of years is given us a lot of perspective, I guess. Yeah. It's like uh, getting out of a bad relationship and saying what, what like love can feel like. The Lakers are very much the toxic uh, <laughs> girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh, that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, thank you for listening to us just vent about this. I knew it was going to be a good show when we started. I thrive in chaos. If you look at my Twitter, <laughs> that is all it is. Um, we'll be back next week, I guess. Uh, and if we're not going to be back next week, then I guess you'll know. But I think the plan is, to just keep this going during the playoffs and talk about like actual playoff basketball teams. What's that like? <laughs> I, I don't it's know. It's been, been so long. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll catch you next week.